Hi coaches, we have a little bonus June episode of the ITA College Tennis Coaches podcast. Today my guest is Dr. Yako Kaiser, who is the head women's tennis coach at the University of South Alabama. He's also a professor at the South Alabama Business School and the host of the Rest of Us podcast. Yako just completed his 21st year as a head coach, but also served some time as the men's assistant coach at South Alabama. In this podcast, we discuss his transition from the men's game to the women's game, how he manages his very busy schedule, his passion for promoting college tennis to a larger audience, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Yako Kaiser, and I look forward to bringing you more podcasts starting again in August. Yako Kaiser, welcome to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. Yes, Dave, thanks a lot for having me. And, and just before I forget, thanks for everything you guys and the ITA does. You know, in, in my younger days, I used to question what you guys do. But in my older days, as I'm smart, so I dabbled a little bit on the admin side. <laughs> you guys got one hell of a tough job, you know, so I appreciate everything you guys do. Oh, well, that's nice. Nice of you to say and, and appreciate that a lot. Yeah, we have a hard, very hard working staff. And um, yeah, until you sit in these chairs, you don't really know just how challenging it is. And, and uh, yeah, you make one decision and Half the population's happy. You make another, and they're they're annoyed with you the next time. So it's a, it's a no win. But I love love the work we do, and I think we're making some progress. And and uh, yeah, thanks for coming on this podcast and sharing some wisdom with our with our coaches. So you ready to go? Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. All right. So yeah, obviously looking at your your profile, you're you're not from this country, but you played your your college tennis at South Alabama, and then you returned a few years later to the, be the men's assistant coach. What was it about college tennis coaching that captured your interest or imagination? Well, um, to back up on that, came over as a player, like you said, and the original plan, that was in January 94, the original plan was to come and play one season, mm. and then uni back in South Africa, um, but I mean, within the first week, two weeks, I was hooked. I uh, mm -hmm. just fell in love with the whole college um, team atmosphere, you know, um, you know, and I stayed and did my undergraduate, you know, got a degree in finance. And then, um, you know, kind of wanted to get an MBA. Once again, the plan was to get the MBA, go to New York, be a stockbroker, investment banker. <laughs> I had big dreams back then. Um, but then same thing, you know, um, I was a graduate assistant slash assistant coach. And within the first month, you know, being on that side of the equation, just loved the coaching, you know, mm -hmm. absolutely fell in love with it. Um, you know, and here I am 20 plus years later. Yeah, amazing. Well, we have very similar stories. Then I did finance, I did go work in, in Chicago, and the stock has changed there for a few few years, but absolutely hated it. And, and so glad I I changed course. So you were one step ahead. You didn't take that that step into that that what I felt as a miserable world. People, some people love it. So I don't want to offend anybody, but, but well done. Said with hindsight, it worked out great, you know. And 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 I think I was fortunate. I mean, I had a little bit of a coaching DNA in my blood. My dad's actually a rugby coach or was a rugby coach. Hmm. And um the situation I walked in over here at South Alabama, um, we had a director of tennis, the men's head coach guy by the name of Scott Novak. He was very passionate about it. And then actually on the woman's side, um, Joey Scrivano, um, he was a woman's coach. He just started his career, a young Joey, a volatile Joey, but a very passionate Joey. <laughs> but, but, but being around those two guys and the passion they had, and, um, you know, I thought they were two great coaches, you know, mm. it just made me excited about coaching. And that's where it all started for me. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely important. We can underestimate again just how the important it is to have those type of people around you, which yeah, develop you and you learn from. And and so I'm glad to hear it worked out. And you've been in the the country a long time now. But in 2002, after three seasons with the men's team, you were named the head women's coach. So why did you believe you were a good fit for the women's side? And and you know, talk us through kind of what factors go into making a decision like that. I, I again, we have a lot of similarities. I made the move from the men to the women, but interest to learn from you how you made that decision because I think some coaches might be going through that right now as they 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 decide what direction to take their careers this summer. Yeah, looking back at it, you know, um, you know, it 
I got lucky, you know, at a young age, you know, um, the admin over here, you know, they took a chance and made me the head coach. But the timing was also very good for me, you know, and I was actually very fortunate. Joey left to become the coach at Baylor. Mm-hmm. There was an opening. There was a lot of interest. Um, you know, I had my foot in the door since I had been in the system already as a player and as a men's assistant coach where we had some success. And then, yeah, I spent a lot of time with the girls as well, kind of crossing over between the two teams as an assistant coach. Um, you know, it was a little bit forced. They were about to kick me out of a country, Dave, to be honest. And, okay. And how that goes, you know. Wow. You know I, I, I did my one-year OPT. I had to find a job. You know, fear is a great, a great motivator. Um, mm-hmm. I got into the interview I wouldn't say I'm a fast talker or a slick talker, but usually I do a good job verbalizing and getting my point across. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, administration liked what I had to sell and they took a chance on me, you know, probably because they figured out they're not going to have to pay this guy too much. And he was just happy that they're going to sponsor his visa. Um, but back then, to answer your question, I wanted to stay on the men's side. You know, I mean, I was like, I'm a men's coach. In the beginning, I wasn't ready for it. Those first couple of years, I mean, it was a tough adjustment. And I like to think I've got some good interpersonal skills and, um, you know, um, some patience. But it took me a while. I mean, to this day, you know, it's still a tough job coaching the girls. But after two, three years, I figured out, you know, that you know, my personality is actually not too bad for coaching girls. You know, um, it, it was a big change. Um yeah, I had an opportunity to switch back to the men, but I was like, no, I'm going to stick it out with the girls. And I'm glad I did. You know, um, looking back at it, I got a little, a, a, a little bit lucky getting stuck on that side, but I'm glad I stuck to the girls. Mm-hmm. And what, what do you think those personality traits um, are that, that exist that make you a good fit for that side and, and made you want to stay on that side? I mean, like, well, like I said, you know, I, I like to think um, I'm a good communicator. You know, um, I like to think pretty patient. Um, it was just a, a, a big shift back then. You got to remember on, on the guy side, um, the head coach that we had, Scott Novak, he was kind of a Chuck Creasy disciple. You know, he was Chuck Creasy's assistant for a long coach. So on the men's okay. side, you kind of ran it pretty in your face, very physical. You know, what we say is what you do. Yeah, and I quickly figured out on on the girls' side, you know, you have to stay take a step back and maybe paint the big picture, um, have people buy in a little bit more, um, and be patient. Yeah, and 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 that's something that I have. You know, I've got patience. You know, I've got that ability to to communicate, and I think that served me well over the years. Yeah, very good. And so uh, on the website, you're listed as Dr. Jaco Kaiser. Can you explain how that came to be and and how you think that formal education has maybe informed how you go about your day-to-day responsibilities now? Yes, doctor, doctor, coach, Yaku. Um, <laughs> you know that goes back about ten years. I mean, I've always, I've always valued education. Around 2011, 2012, you know, I was getting a little bit restless. You know, this mind sometimes does get a little restless, and I was actually looking to get into athletic administration. You know. Mm. After- was a good progression for me something I was interested in you know I looked at the landscape and I thought by adding the academic credentials you know that might speed things up a little bit as I make that transition they offered a PhD in business administration over here you know so I started that process in 2013 about a month in I realized this is not going to be easy. I mean, that was that was tough. That was a tough three years, and and I and I mean, I was going to get it done in three years, um, but that was not something what they what they're going to give to you. Um, as I was starting off with that, I kind of started dabbling a little bit on the administration side, and like I said, that's where I really started valuing and respecting the jobs that those guys um, guys do. I mean, that's a thankless job, but those guys work hard. Um, they work long hours and uh you know i was like i'm not i'm not sure if i want to do this <laughs> but but in for a penny in for a pound i started that phd so i was going to finish it um to answer your question i think it's helped me tremendously you know mm. big big picture um i think it's made me a lot better employee 
you know, just seeing the big picture from an organizational structure, from an organizing standpoint, from an organizational behavior standpoint. Mm. You know, a lot more pleasant to be around as an employee. And then from a coaching standpoint, you know, what most definitely is what it's helped me, you know, it's given me a few more tools, you know, stuff like um, leadership, motivation, you know, um, I mean, I, I'm not saying I applied correctly yet, but it gave me those tools to maybe understand individuals around me a little bit better, you know, different ways to lead, different ways to follow, um, what made, what motivate one person, you know, doesn't motivate another. You know, I have to be careful, you know, because sometimes it might, for me, lead to paralysis through analysis, um, but but I definitely feel like the PhD has helped me, you know, and it, you know, and. On the side, I do a lot of teaching now as well. You know, that, that, I mean, that's a nice distraction away from the tennis as well. Um, but overall, you know, I'm glad I did it. I feel like it's helped me tremendously. Um, you know, and if someone ha has the opportunity to do that, you know, even if, if it is a master's, I think education is golden. You know, it, 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 it does help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so with with how you valued education or what are some other ways through your coaching career that you've you know found ways to to learn more uh, you know outside of the phd are there other things that you do to continue to learn and develop as a coach in person yes um and and that's something even in my older age i'm trying to get a little bit better at it um maybe i'm stubborn it's that south african stubbornness about it but I always wanted to do it by myself, you know? So I'm constantly reading up, you know, um, you know articles, academic literature, um, crossing over to other sports, you know? So I do it by myself. I'm not saying that's the right way, but I constantly try to learn from other people and from other sports, um, you know? And I should get better at joining some more formal avenues, you know? Mm -hmm. um, or professional organizations, I mean, like the ITA, like yourself and other organizations like that, um, you know, and, 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 and that's one of the things when I look back at it, you know, I wish I did that a little bit more in my younger days and not just taking on that task myself like I have over the years. Yeah, great advice. And then with the uh, classes that you're teaching, which classes are you teaching? Oh, I'm, I teach principles of management. Okay. You know? Of a capstone course so um it's a, a wide variety of topics we teach in that then i do a little bit of um organizational behavior fascinating mm. class over there and then um i'm that guy if someone drops out last minute i'll teach anything <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit the first for knowledge but i'm not going to lie to you it's to make an extra buck as well <laughs> yeah so, um, I mean, I mean, I'll teach anything within the business departments. Okay, amazing. And then, so, yeah, so I wanted to get to the time management piece a little bit because you're you're coaching the team at a high level. You're you're teaching these classes. You're substitute super substitute teacher when you need to be. And then you've even started your own podcast, which we'll get into. And you've got five year old twins. I, you know, you've got a you've got a busy full life going on. So, how how do you think about time management. And I'm sure that going through that PhD course as well, you really had to get clear on what your priorities were and how to put some order to it. But but how do you maybe um, prioritize? And then um, how do you put maybe structure to your week? Or how are you planning out your week from, from one to the next? And I know different seasons, etc. But any thoughts around time managing? Because I know it's something our coaches are really they're thirsty for more information. They're struggling with how to manage their time, how to prioritize what they really should be doing at the, the beginning of every day, the beginning of every week, et cetera. Any, any thoughts on that you can share? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I wish I could give this great advice or wisdom. I mean, first of all, yes, nine months out of a year, it is busy. I think it's busy for everyone out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, being a mid-major coach, it really gets busy because most of us are one-man armies. Um, mm -hmm. That's why the summers are nice. You know, you refresh those batteries to get ready for the next nine-month block. Um, yes, um, prioritizing, um, planning out your day, um, you know, on a monthly basis, on a weekly basis, and, and for me, it's on a daily basis. Um, you know, having a schedule. 
you know, not a rigid schedule, but having a, you know, a framework of, you know, this part of a day, I'm going to do this and going to move on to the next thing. Um, I mean, that's the only way I can survive. Um, mm -hmm. For me, and it, it's four or five things that I prioritize, you know, if, if it is the coaching, obviously, um, the teaching, spending time with my kids, because I really value that. My mindset always is if something is important, you will find time for it. Mm. Um, for me, I have to be busy, David. I mean, some, some people get overwhelmed. Some people panic. For myself, I have to be busy. You know, yeah, I can't over, overextend myself, but I have to be busy with the coaching part and then no, now I've got to switch gears and go into the teaching part, or now I've got to switch gears and go into the research for my podcast or spending time. Because, um, you know, I'm the kind of individual, if I'm not busy, if my day isn't structured and prioritized like that, I'll be sitting around and thinking about Susie's forehand and backhand and bad attitude all day long. <laughs> so from a personal health standpoint, it's good for me, you know. Yeah. Don't know how that applies to other people out there. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, yeah, I mean, if you don't have a schedule, you know, I mean, you what you're probably missing the boat, you know, um, don't get carried away with sticking to your schedule. It's got to be flexible, but figure out yourself as an individual, what works for you. I mean, I've seen people out there when they have a, my wife, for example, I hope she's not going to listen to this. You cannot put a schedule on her. <laughs> she she panics. Yeah. Um, so I just feel like as an individual, you got to know yourself and mm. uh, figure it out from there. And, yeah. What is that process for you, Yako? Do you sit down on Sunday and then do you are you writing it down or are you putting it in a, a Google calendar? And and what does that process look like? For me, it starts off with a, with the monthly schedule, and then yes. Every Sunday night, I sit down and I plan the week out by the hour. Mm -hmm. uh, and, it's, and it's old school. It's a daily calendar where I write it in by pen, um, you know, and, you know, it's a guide for me. You know, now, like I say, for me, it's not rigid, but it just kind of gives me a visual representation of, all right, morning workouts, afternoon workouts. There's a two hour block prep for my teaching or there's my classes I've got to teach and you know it just kind of keeps me on track yeah yeah very good well thanks for sharing that process and you know just again kind of going back to your early days in coaching and and look every year is a new year and and we're constantly making mistakes and learning from them but you know as you talk about that transition as well from the men to the women what are some some of those mistakes you made earlier in your career that you'd really like the next generation of coaches to avoid? Well, a lot of mistakes were made. I'm not going to lie to you along right. the but the two the two if I could have it all over or if I could if I could give some advice to the younger generation, two things that pops to mind is um, networking, networking, networking. You know, you go to from a young age network with your peers, network with people in your industry, network with the people in your athletic um, department within your university. You know, um, if you've got any aspirations to one day progress up the ladder, um, you know, and the second thing that kind of goes hand in hand with that, you know, is, is don't be stubborn, you know, um, learn, learn from your peers. You know, find a mentor, um, follow the good coaches. I mean, follow the unsuccessful coaches as well. A lot of times you learn a lot from them. Um, you know, education, go to these coaching seminars, you know, have that thirst for knowledge, you know, because, um, you know, once again, it might have been my stubbornness as a young coach or as a South African, we are all a little bit stubborn, um, you know, but kind of wanted to do it myself didn't do a good job in my younger age networking you know um, um thought i knew better and 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 maybe that was a culture that i walked into at south alabama i mean the culture over here was us against the world back then you know yeah. everyone on the outside was the enemy and we were going to do it our way and fortunately and unfortunately we were successful at it um at the time 
Um, so, you know, we really didn't develop those skills back then. Um, but to summarize it, network, you know, openness to outside help, to outside information. And, and so how have you improved your networking skills or openness to it over the last several years? So at some point you recognize I was maybe being a little too internal how did you go about broadening your network? Obviously, you've had to do that within in the, the academic environment there. Otherwise, you wouldn't be a professor on the campus there. So, yeah, how, how have you improved those skills? Uh, just baby steps. Uh, I mean, for me, just reaching out to other coaches, mm -hmm. you know, you know, communicating, you know, having those communication lines open, picking their brains, you know, um, simple conversation, phone call, you know, um, Hey man, what's going on with recruiting? Where are you recruiting this summer? You know, where do you think we should be recruiting? What do you guys do on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, um, I mean, walking around on campus over here, we got some very successful teams. You know, baseball, and we had softball in the top ten, top fifteen in the nation. Just going sitting around at their practices, picking mm -hmm. the coaches' brains. You know, um, getting out there, communicating with the administrators, you know, and I'm sure we'll get down to that later on in this podcast, you know, but um, asking people for help, you know, not being afraid to ask for help and accepting help. Um, I mean, all those little things, you know, and, 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 and it's a pity for myself, you know, um, that we didn't do it a lot more in the earlier years, because um, it's amazing once you reach out, how many people are willing to help. You know, mm -hmm. Yeah. Being brave enough sometimes. Or sometimes just leave, leaving your ego at the door, checking your ego at the door and asking for help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good. And so, yeah, you talked about kind of the culture at South Alabama early on was, was us against the world. And, and you started this podcast called The Rest of Us Podcast. So it's kind of, <laughs> you still got a bit of that in, 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 your, in your blood here. But um, can you share with us a little bit how this podcast came about and and really why fans and uh, of college tennis and, and coaches should be tuning in uh, to these podcasts. Yeah, most definitely. And, and, and to be honest, I mean, I've, I've had a blast with this podcast. I did not expect to have so much fun with it. Um, I mean, it, it probably goes back to COVID-19 uh, or, you know, whenever COVID hit, um, mm -hmm. I was a little late to the party. I guess everyone was listening to podcasts. I started listening to podcasts back then when I still try and work out, you know, um, uh, and I wanted to listen to tennis podcasts, you know, and then um, there wasn't much on college tennis, was there? I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, you've done a great job at it. Um, you've got the guys that crack rackets and no ad. Um, they do a phenomenal job, you mm -hmm. know. I mean, that coverage at crack rackets at the NCAA tournaments, I thought that was excellent, by the mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Um, but they were a little bit more slanted towards the men's game. Um, I mean, they're doing a lot better job covering the women's game right now but it was extremely top heavy. Um, so I saw a gap. I mean, I mean, there's a whole bunch of factors and I'm slowly getting to it. I saw a gap there for someone to come in and cover the mid-level mid power fives, the lower tier power fives, the mid-majors, the lower tier programs. And that's just division one. I mean, I've actually stuck my toes in the water with division two, three, NAIA, but I, I saw a gap over there. You know, and, and, and I thought that's something that people potentially would be interested in, you know, and then secondly, you know, I mean, um, I'm always talking about promoting the game. And I guess in my unique and quirky way, it's a way for me to promote women's tennis, to just talk about it, get the word out there to promote Olympic sports, to promote mid-major sports, um, you know, and then, and then the third part is, you know, I, I think it's pretty informative. I know it's real informative for other coaches out there um, because, I mean, I mean, we're getting in the weeds with results, mid-majors, lower-tier power fives, like I mentioned, um, smaller conferences. I think it's informative for the fan out there, you know, who's tired of hearing about how good North Carolina and North Carolina State is. Um, and I think it's informative for, um, you know, up and coming tennis players who will, when they listen, I mean, they figure out there's a lot of good teams out there. There's a lot of good coaches out there, a lot of good programs. And then lastly, um, yeah, I mean, 
I mean, we're having a lot of fun with it. I'm taking a lot of jabs at the power fives, you know, um, <laughs> but it's, it's all in good fun. You know, I mean, there's nothing malicious about it and those guys can handle it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's great and, and it is very informative and, and uh, it's um, yeah, just to kind of have that wrap up. Can you take us through the, the, the format a little bit, just if, if coaches haven't listened to it and, and kind of what you cover and then also where they can find it? Yes, it's been, um, I mean, during a season, it's been very bullet point. You know, I kind of, you can probably see the structure. I like structure in my life. So the podcast initially has been extremely structured, even though I've tried to loosen it up a little bit. Um, you know, what we'll usually start off with the previous week's results, results that I find interesting, you know, I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll cover the power fives, the big matchups, you know, but I'll kind of, really want to get into those ones that people don't know about that I find interesting. Um, you, we usually have a topic for discussion, something that's in the news. Um, you know, I've been trying to plant the seed for some topics during the summer, you know, and I'll get to that in a second. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, usually we'll just kind of wrap it up with whatever news is out there, transfer portal news, especially now coaching news, a lot of coaching movement going on, discussing, you know, um, who should be getting those jobs, who should not be getting those jobs, et cetera, et cetera, you know. Um, you know, but it's a good listen, you know. I mean, like I said, I've listened to quite, quite a bit. I just try to make it very casual, just talking about tennis, you know, informing people out there, you know. So, I mean, if you want to listen to it, definitely. I mean, I usually post uh, episodes on Twitter at Coach Mid Major, Instagram at The Rest of Us Tennis, and then um, they always on Spotify under The Rest of Us Tennis Podcast. And to be honest, I'm surprised, um, Dave. It's actually got a nice little following going. So, you know, you got some people out there who who might enjoy me running my mouth. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it's great. And, and again, uh, the more people uh, shining a light on college tennis, the, the better. So I appreciate you coming on here and, and hopefully we can get a few more folks listening. But it is it is always surprising when I see somebody in Belgium listening to our podcast. I'm like, well, well I don't know if there's any college coaches over there, but this is great. The more, the merrier. So, yeah, so no. And, and this summer is going to be a challenge. Um, after the season, I've took I've taken a little two week break because it it was very results oriented, mm -hmm. uh, and I was doing a lone wolf. You know, I'll just sit there and talk. Um, there was no editing going on. I I, I would just go at it. Um, but the summer we're shifting gears a little bit, and I'm slowly going to get guests on there. So right. hopefully we'll feel comfortable enough in a couple oh, of weeks to come. More than happy to. Um, and maybe get a little bit more in the weeds with regards to some topics that surrounds college tennis. And, and, and once again, just get some input from, you know, a variety of coaches and people within the industry. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Okay, well, good. And, and so, yeah, we're talking about marketing. Uh, it's a passion for you. you. You're trying to get the college tennis out to a, a broader audience, trying to get more people to cure matches, etc. But what do you believe coaches need to consider in order to better market their program? What, what, you know, you're, you're traveling all across the country. You're at some, some places where they've done an excellent job with the, the game day environment. They have a lot of people there and others where there's maybe nobody there and there's not really much environment about it, but what are some things that you've picked up along the way that you'd like to see every coach do? Man, this is a fascinating topic and it's complex and, and, and I understand a lot of the suggestions out there with regards to getting it on TV and um, more eyeballs on it, social media, etc. Um, I actually briefly discussed it in one of the podcasts and we're going to circle back to it during the summer is, um, man, we got to get the kids. We got to get the kids involved. Um, I'm a case study right now, five-year-old twins. Um I'm not spending any time next to a tennis court. Um, all my time is next to a soccer field, baseball field, basketball court. Um, why is that? You know, my mind was starting to run a little bit over there. Um, they got a system in place um, 
on purpose or by accident. I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. But there's a system in place. They get introduced to these sports at a young age, you know, at the age of at my kid's school at the age of five. So there's an introduction. You know, um, they actually have some organized practices, if you can call it organized at that stage at school. Um, so they're introduced to the sport. Then you got the after school um, clubs, clinics in those sports. So introduction and then development at the clubs. Um, and I mean, there's some proper coaching going on over there, you know, and I mean, I've spent some time next to the soccer and next to the basketball and baseball. It's not like some of the tennis clinics out there where kids are running around with hula hoops, having fun. They're teaching them proper fundamentals. So the kids start to master that skill. Um, then during the summer times, um, it feels like the college programs are taking over. They got a lot of camps because the numbers have been generated via right. the action and the development. Then those kids are hooked, you know, um, they like the sport. They feel confident participating in it. Um, now they want to go and support the South Alabama soccer team, the South Alabama softball team. Mm. Uh, last In the last two years, I've spent more time next to uh, um, at South Alabama baseball games than I had combined in the previous 20 years. The reason is my kids want to go. You know, all their friends are going. Um, so, I mean, I... I spend a lot of time at my kids' sport. You know, what, what now I do acknowledge, you know, tennis is a steeper learning curve. It's always going to be a little bit harder yeah. to get the kids in, engaged and locked in over there. But, I, you know, I drop my kids off. I pick them up. I harass because I'm always running my mouth. I harass the teachers over there. I'm like, hey, why don't you guys introduce them to tennis? What's going on over here? Mm -hmm. say, we would love to, but we don't have anyone who's got the skill set to do that. Why don't you do it? You know? <laughs> so I guess... I guess I'm at the crossroads right now. Am I going to be that schmuck who's going to be running his mouth or am I going to get in the weeds and help him set up some kind of system right. so that then introduce it to these kids? Us college coaches collectively, to answer your question, you know, um, we got to do a better job getting to the schools, getting to those kids at a young age, putting on these free clinics on match day, volunteering our time, um, and not just once or twice, but but we got to have that sustained effort, you know, mm. get the young kids. And I think that's that's a key right there. You know, um, that's not going to be easy. Um, I mean, I know for myself, you know, being a mid-major coach, that's going to take a lot of time away from something else. But instead of us complaining about getting more people out, engaging people, um, you know, all this other stuff, I mean, that's the root cause over there, in my opinion. Mm. You know? And that's my two cents. You know? And I'm sure people will debate me and poke holes into my theory. But I mean, if we're going to get this right, we got to get to the kids. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, very, very valid point. And it's, uh, look, there's there's many things that can be done, but that that's a, a crucial piece of it. And yeah, I, I worry about the same thing, Yako. I'm here in Arizona I have one kid in, in middle school, one kid in high school. I'm going to watch them in other sports because they're not particularly interested in tennis, which is is it's another story. Um, uh -huh. But but every time I visit one of these high schools or middle schools to go watch them participate in sports, I do see tennis courts. I just don't see anybody on them. Yep. And um, that that's really scary because I, I see lots of, you know, 100 kids out at a track meet, <laughs> you know, running around a track, which doesn't seem all that exciting or appealing they're hanging around most of the time and then you know 30 minutes in they get to run for 40 seconds and then they're hanging around for another and they seem happy doing that but yeah, but, yeah what are we doing to create something similar uh, on the tennis side but you know apart from the grassroots I mean for the college game um, uh, specifically uh, have you any thoughts on any changes that could be made to whether it's format or something else that would broaden that appeal to, to the masses. You know, and a lot of people fight me on that. Um, I think our product is great. And, and it's not just because I'm biased, you know, I've been trying to look at it from different angles and the knee jerk reaction always is when you don't, you know, have the same spectators 
out there as in other sports. Oh, we got to change a format. We got to shorten it. We got to do this. We got to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, no, we we don't have to change anything with regards to the formatting. I mean, yeah, we've done a lot and you know, no ad and this and that, shorten the doubles and all of that stuff. Um, you know, we don't have to change anything. We just got to figure out a way. And and I'm guilty as well. We got to get people into the stands on match day. Yeah, there is a little bit of a explaining to them exactly how the scoring system works, but it's not that complicated. I mean, it's got to make them understand two out of three doubles. You get one point after that. It's a race to four. I mean, that's not that hard. The key is to get them out to the games through the gates have them watch every single person I've gotten out there. I mean, they are repeat customers because mm. the product is so great. We got nine storylines happening, you know, three in doubles, six in singles, and it all's building towards that great climax. So you got, you know, tension up and down in all these matches. And then when it comes down to that three, two, three all match, you got that 20, 30 minutes of, drama you know um extended drama that's equivalent to a two-minute drill in football you know bottom of a ninth in baseball um you know last minute in the basketball game mm-hmm. once we get people through the gates you know i mean i mean they hooked you know um you know now i guess it circles back to how do we get them through the gates you know um yeah i mean we got to go knock on some doors yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, for us, one of our big goals, it's on the big board over here. Next year, myself and my volunteer assistant coach and, and whoever I can get in from promotions. I mean, we're going to be be at the sororities. We're going to be out in the community. And, and, and our goal is to beat softball, to beat volleyball. Man, we can beat women's basketball. I don't see a lot of people out there. You know, it's just get people through the gate because we feel confident once we get them there, they will be back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I, I love our format. And, and from a live perspective, it's awesome. Obviously, there's some challenges with, with the TV side of things. It doesn't necessarily come through as well on TV. But from a live perspective, it, it is a great product. And I think we have to be careful. I mean, everybody points to volleyball and, and their, their scoring system. They made that change. Yes, it became more fan-friendly, but also those changes were made at the Olympic level. They were made at the club level years before college adopted it. So, I mean, if we make a, a whole-scale change, it's like it's too dissimilar to what people are used to. They're watching the French Open right now, obviously, okay, five sets, et cetera, but it's, it's similar enough if we go and do something like world team tennis that you know never got any interest it was too different from the product that people are used to so yeah i, I definitely caution us to to move too far away from uh-huh. what people are used to um if the itf come out and say tomorrow okay it's it's four game sets and it's it's no ad and it's you know um three or four out of seven sets or whatever it is it's like okay well then maybe we need to shift closer to what they're doing but we got to be careful not to to deviate too much. So I think that's good. I agree a hundred percent, you know, and, 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 and I've sat on those um, conference committees on the regional committees and, 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 and I, and I get a little bit uneasy when people have that knee jerk reaction and wanting to like to change a format. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, there's so many considerations to all of these and, and um, but yeah, the TV piece is, is an important piece going forward, but yeah, that's kind of where I wanted to head with my next question, Yako, was just, you know, talking about the rest of us and, and you know, different divisions. Obviously, currently for NCA, we have three divisions, but there's just so much craziness in the air, conference realignment. I, I think we're going to see more this summer. It appears that way. You've got, you know, the TV contracts for the biggest conferences are just uh, you know, the, the numbers are staggering, especially for us coming from from other countries. We just can't quite wrap our heads around it. You've got transfer transfer portal issues. You've got name image likeness. You've got inflation. Just the cost of doing business now is just getting more more expensive. I mean, as you're monitoring the the landscape, having conversations with your administrators. I mean, do you think we're destined to have two divisions at Division One, or or where where are we going in your opinion? Well, 
I mean, first of all, this is the kind of stuff that gives me sleepless nights. I'm not going to lie sure. about it. Yeah. And it for a couple of years. My, my worst case, before I answer your question, worst case scenario for me in my mind is, yes, 40 or 50 or 60 schools breaking away. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, um, less revenue distribution for the rest of us. Therefore, athletic departments will have to trim down um, going from 16, 14 sports down to whatever they allow to, or they will have to designate certain sports that they're going to fund fully in order to compete. Um, Therefore, Olympic sports, you know, might get cut, you know, won't be fully funded, salaries will go down, budgets will go down. And at the moment, we are kind of tennis is kind of low hanging fruit. That's my worst case scenario. <laughs> you know, um, um, you know, things are never as bad as what they seem, or never as good as what they seem. It will probably fall somewhere in between. I think, um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want anyone to break away. I mean, I think that would be a disaster for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. An absolute disaster. Um, I hope we can keep everyone operating under the same umbrella. Um, I mean, I think, think the landscape is shifting and will shift where, you know, uh, those 40, 50 schools, they'll have a lot more, you know, their own decision making, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I mean, but I hope we can keep it together. You know, uh, what I, what I, I, I hope they don't break away because as much as our bad mouth, or not bad mouth, but as much as I, worried about the widening gap between the power five and the mid majors, man, we need those power fives. Don't we, <laughs> you know, if they break away the rest of us, you know, um, thank goodness I'm situated decently over here where potentially I can transition into a teaching position, but that is not good news for us. No. You know, um, to answer your question, do I think they're going to break away? Um, not fully. Um, or, or I hope not. Um, but uh, but I think there is going to be a little bit of a shift where they're going to have a lot more autonomy and all that stuff that comes along with that. And hopefully it doesn't affect us mid-majors too badly. But that's why the urgency that I talk about on my podcast all the time for tennis is to position ourselves in case things go sideways, where we are notch above golf, um, soccer, women's soccer, volleyball. So that when uh, when uh, you know when things go sideways it's not an easy decision to cut women's tennis you know and therefore i mean as tennis coaches we got to understand um we bring a lot of value to athletic departments i mean hopefully we do bring value through performance but from an academic standpoint women's tennis brings a ton of value and mm-hmm. Athletic directors, I mean, I, I, I mean, they're giving it lip service around campus from an academic standpoint, from a citizen sta- um, citizenship standpoint. I mean, it's low maintenance, women's tennis. Sometimes us tennis coaches, we're afraid of our own shadows. You know, I mean, we got to pull our shoulders back and go and promote our sports within our own athletic departments and not just hide in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to get out there in a community, build some political capital. You know, with donors, with decision makers, with important people in the community, with important people within the university as well. You know, it's 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 just, you know, um, we bring a lot of value. I, I know, you know, my tennis team over here brings a lot of value, and that's the same for every other tennis program out there. Mm. They've you're fired up over here. You know, it's 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 because these are the things that worries me. I'll be there. Yeah. Keeps me up at night. You, you and me both, you and me both. It's, it's, uh, yeah, sleep with, with one eye open kind of thing. And, and, um, yeah, it's, it's so easy as a coach just to get so wrapped up in the wins and losses and the recruiting and, and lose sight of that bigger picture. And, and what, what can I do to make this program as valuable as possible within the athletic department, within the community? And when we have, you know, a multitude of coaches through the decades who, who have done that, I've had many of them on the, on the podcast. And you know when an athletic director is going to make those decisions or those cuts, you want them to really, <laughs> you know, you hope tennis is not, uh, you know, even on their list. But if it is on their list, 
the coach and the programs giving them enough reasons as to why tennis needs to stick around. And so, uh, no, I appreciate your your passion and and your understanding of of just how um, you know untenable in certain ways the situation is. I mean, we're talking about if if student athletes are are to be designated as true employees. I mean that that spells disaster for all of us i mean i mean all of us are looking for for new positions at that point and so i'm following that very closely what's happening out in california and and um but we we all need to be aware of it i think sometimes coaches aren't paying attention to those things it's not a given and i mean i'm in this position because i want this to continue i want future generations of players and coaches to have the same amazing experience i had as a player and coach it's not it's not necessarily about today it's about 10 15 20 years from now and i think sometimes it's easy just to get wrapped up in what do i need today what what's in my best interest today you know for my program in this moment not recognizing no you're you're trying to leave a legacy for future generations you want this this program to be around long after you're retired passed away you want it to be around for hundreds of years and so it's um yeah trying to get that message across to as many many coaches as possible especially this next generation you know you come you're a student athlete you just have no real clue you just think you're going to recruit and you're going to build team culture and you're going to coach some players and it's going to be fun it's like no 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 this this job there's a lot more that goes into this job if you want to do it well and make sure that future generations have have it wrapped up so thank you for for helping promote that message no i'm i'm doing my part and i know people get i know people get annoyed about it when i bring it up but i want to create that urgency you know it's 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 yeah and i guess every couple of years something pops up you know and we adjust we adapt and we overcome but i think this is a tipping point over here you know and there's a great unknown coming and you'd be a fool if you don't try and position yourself as best as possible for what's coming now like i said you know things are not always as bad as what it seems or not as good as what it seems but let's be prepared you know let's mm -hmm. position women's tennis programs around the country so that you know we can absorb anything that comes our way yeah yeah okay yeah go well look we'll get off uh get off our soap boxes we'll get into some rap rapid fire <laughs> round here um you know you talked a lot about continuing education is there a book passage quote video podcast etc that's made a major impact on your coaching career to date yeah and i'm and i'm probably <laughs> i'm probably going to show my age over here um younger coaches won't know about this but they should um most definitely two books and this is a must read for anyone getting into the coaching game. You know, um, Brad Gilbert's Winning Ugly, you got to read that. And then the second one is Directional Tennis by Paul Wardlaw. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you ever read it or no. Absolutely. It. Of course. Yeah. First day as a coach, I don't know if it was the men's coach or Joey stuck it into my hands. <laughs> I'm glad they did, you know. Um, and this is what they told me. They like, hey, man, you don't know anything about coaching. Go and read this. You know, give you the foundation, the principles, you know, it will teach you how to plan a practice, a progression of a practice, there's some drills. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm glad I, I still got my copy lying around over here and go and revisit it sometimes. Um, yeah, you know, you know, you don't have to follow it rigidly, you know, <laughs> to a T, but I think it's great information for anyone getting to college. So, yeah, I mean, that had it influenced my coaching style quite a bit. Very good. I need to have Paul on, on the podcast. That's a great reminder. I'm going to write that down now. We'll have him on next season, hopefully. Um, do you have a favorite drill you like to do with your team? Yes, I've got a South Alabama staple. Um, we've been doing it for 30, 40 years over here, and we'll be doing it for another 30 years. Offense, defense, out of the hands. Uh, if me and you are playing, Dave, if I'm the offense, I'm playing half court only. Two points from the deuce court, two points from the ad court. I'm the offense. You have a defense, you're covering full court. The whole idea behind it is on the offense, I've got time to work my patterns, construct the points, identify that short ball to transition and come in. You know, mm -hmm. On the defensive side, yeah, you're working on that side-to-side -side movement, um, absorbing trying to get that ball deep the first three to five balls to slow down the offense but i can run that drill all day long 
<laughs> and I probably will run it all day long. Coming <laughs> okay. Do you, do you have a favorite coaching memory? Is there something that really stands out to you over the last few decades? Man, um, that's a tricky one. Yeah, top of my head, it's it's um, probably 2015. We won the Sunbelt Conference. Now, I mean, we've won quite a few Sunbelt Conferences, but that one um, was really special. Um, so it's 2010-11. We had some NCAA sanctions, not not the women's team, but the men's side. We had some restrictions, recruiting wise. So we had to build the whole program from scratch, and uh, we we won the conference there in 2015. And I just took a lot of pride in it because it wasn't the most talented team. Um, but I mean, we outworked everyone. I like to think we outcoached everyone and probably won one that we shouldn't have, you know? So that one really sticks in my mind. Cool. I think um, I, I don't know if you remember, I think right after that year, you might've still been at Oklahoma and we organized a match for the following year, but then you left and we ended up playing Ordra in our first year at Oklahoma. Okay. Okay. Well, sorry, I wasn't there to, 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 to enjoy that. So I'll leave it to Audra. Um, what is one thing you will do in the next 12 months to ensure you are a better coach 12 months from now? Oh, this is scary stuff because um, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks, but I, I, I try and, you know, get a little bit better each year. And this is going to be very incremental. Um, two, two things you know, small picture at the micro level. Um, the intent with next year's team is to take a step back, let them play a little bit, you know, change, not, not changing my coaching style, but, 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 but just, you know, giving them a little bit of breathing room. Um, you know, had a talented team this year. We'll have a talented team next year. Sometimes the talent, you got to take a step back and let them play. Um, instead of being so on top of them and being structured and trying to dictate patterns that they play. So, you know, small picture, hopefully that makes me a better coach. Something that I am starting to dabble in um, and it's taken me a while, um, but this summer and in the fall, we're kind of sticking our toes in the water with regards to sports science. Um, don't want to get carried away with it, you know, but we're slowly starting to, you know, become a little bit more educated with that and try mm -hmm. to get into the program, monitoring a few things. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to evolve. I'm trying to keep up with the young people over here and hopefully become a better coach as we move along. Oh, that's great. And that's a great note, note to finish on, Yako. Well, thank you for coming on. Thank you for your promotion of of college tennis especially amidst your your very busy schedule but it sounds like you uh you need something on your plate at all times but uh excited to um listen in to more of the podcast happy to come on anytime and debate various different uh points as it relates to college tennis and then uh hope you have a great summer most definitely thanks a lot and appreciate what you guys are doing thanks Jaco.